Okay, Chris, I've got a question for you. What is the strangest thing you've ever sold? On or offline? Like something where you thought, really, you want to buy this? When they did, and they did. Hmm. I listed a motor stand that was made out of, like an outboard motor stand that was made out of two by fours. My dad cut it, uh, like he cut it, hold on just a sec. <laughs> Stupid dog, jeez. Aww, poor thing. She should be quiet because she knows where I am. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so my dad basically cut a bunch of two by fours that uh, were supposed to be uh, assembled to be like an out outboard motor stand because I was replacing the motor on my boat and uh, just a bunch of two by fours. And I listed it on Craigslist thinking like, like someone would have to be an idiot to... <laughs> to spend, I think I put it up there for like 60 bucks or something. And I got... And you wrote that in the description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be a fool to buy this thing. But, uh... And I never actually sold it because... But I got a bunch of, like, people who wanted to come look at it and stuff. And it was like... I could yeah. just... You could just go to the lumber store, lumber yard, buy some 2 by 4s <laughs> But... I didn't quite count because I never actually sold it, but yeah. But it's it's illustrative, I guess. Like <laughs> yeah. Shit people will buy. One time my brother, and this is a really sad story, he, he traded, again, not a sale, but he traded like an original Game Boy for this stupid tech deck half pipe. Um, oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's like he gave it away for some magic beans. It was like... <laughs> this original Game Boy was really, like, in good shape and stuff. And was he, like, a 10-year-old? Or, like, how old was he? Yeah, he was probably, like, 10. 10 or 11. Right. Yeah. So... When you learn the hard lessons of, <laughs> of commerce. <laughs> yeah. Hey, who are you? He is a boy. I'm Jeff Bezos. He's very thin. Amazon.com. I'm sure tomorrow. <laughs> so Caraway don't like himself. Jeff Bezos. Very much because he is center, center, self Everybody, you're listening to Prime Evil, the podcast about how Amazon sucks. I'm Natalie. And I'm Chris. So each episode, we like to read a couple of um, headlines where Amazon is in the news. So I've prepared that for this episode. There's always tons of news about Amazon, so I just picked some kind of random ones. But here's one from Bloomberg. Amazon drivers are hanging smartphones in trees to get more work by Spencer Soper. Um, so apparently this is a ploy for Amazon drivers to get just like a minuscule advantage against other drivers for more deliveries. So they'll plant a phone in a tree that I assume is like nearby the dispatch zone and that will ping um, notifications to a phone that they actually have in their possession. And apparently this slight time difference will um, give them a couple of more deliveries per day. <laughs> so. Oh, man. Um, Gosh. Yeah, pretty ridiculous. A similar thing is happening with the Whole Foods delivery drivers, but their system actually uses proximity to measure who has priority for delivery. So they'll like, they'll know where your actual smartphone is. So you plant a smartphone and they think you're right outside the delivery zone when really you're like wherever and you're just forwarding these messages. Wow. So yeah. Jeez. It's like uh it's so cutthroat. It's like um Yeah. It's like not like useful competition. It's you know, it's not like they're getting better at their job, driving more safely, picking efficient routes, things like that. They're just like tricking <laughs> like the system. That's that's interesting. Yeah. And it seems weird to have your com your drivers be competing so much with one another because 
it seems like efficiency, but really these drivers are anywhere and probably are doing slightly less efficient routes because of this weird tactic. So anyway, yeah. I guess it's, they're probably going to have to change it now that it's out. But Right. Well, it's like with uh, Uber, uh, LA, LAX recently, I think last year, mid, might have been the end of last year, they changed the uh, rideshare system so that uh, Uber drivers and whatnot, they had to uh, park in a special rideshare parking lot where they were basically assigned based on their spot in the in the queue they'd just get the next person requesting rideshare and so they had the which is great for like the entire system that they didn't have these drivers just drive around in a circle like hoping to land on the spot when someone was requesting a ride you know but uh it's really terrible for the drivers who go sit in line and then you know they might get a fare to like you know, San Bernardino or someplace where they have to, <laughs> like, that's their whole evening is one single drive. And, like, anyway, just sort of... Are those drivers allowed to decline rides? If you're like, that's too far. Or, like, I only have an, I only have 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, you have a choice on what rides you want to, on what rides you want to take. But uh, the thing about the, the LAX system is that when you get into the queue you basically have one opportunity for a ride you're not given like a list of possible oh, rides right. or fares you could take so so it really is like take it or leave it <laughs> yeah position. which again like i couldn't care less about uber and honestly like i mean lax is a huge mess but it sucks for people who have been swindled by uber into doing their bidding basically and and these Amazon, or yeah, delivery drivers who are, it, it's this like uh, excess of uh, labor, basically. So you get uh, lots of people trying to do like really crummy jobs. <laughs> yeah. It also is really strange because cell phones aren't, aren't free. I mean, they're not cheap. Like you have to use, they were saying in this article that it was smartphones and they're hiding them in trees. And I'm like that's expensive and what's the likelihood of your little phone getting stolen or lost or rained on or just yeah seems so weird that <laughs> what if have, a crow took it's it. worth it yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay so the second one and i've heard this in a couple of news places so i didn't have a specific article but um walmart is going to launch a rival to amazon prime called walmart plus and um, it's basically a subscription service that you pay for yearly subscription, and then they don't have any of the stuff that Walmart or that Amazon offers on Prime, like streaming. But um, nearly every article I found seemed to kind of be like a press release, and <laughs> one hmm. of them even had like buttons that were, "Which one are you going to join?" And they had like a button to join, <laughs> which was fucking weird to me. <laughs> fully an ad um anyway oh good and both both walmart and amazon suck but in a way i'm kind of glad that someone's trying to like compete with amazon yeah even though they're just two monopolies like vying for the same market share yeah uh just anyway (laughs) walmart plus that's not very good branding (laughs) it's not and like just the word Walmart is just, like, gross to say. Yeah. You know? <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, and then the last one I have was from BBC, and it says Amazon to create 7,000 jobs in the UK. Um, and apparently, because there was a huge spike in demand for online shopping from COVID-19, Amazon hired like 10,000 new temporary workers, but they're thinking it's permanent growth. And um, so it's some stats. In the last five years, their workforce grew from 10,000 to 40,000 employees. One of the counterintuitive things about this, you know, new growth is that even in the past five years when Amazon has grown by 30,000 new employees, the Office of National Statistics says that there are actually 100,000 fewer total retail jobs over the same period of time, hmm. not including COVID-19 impact. And 
I thought that was an interesting counterintuitive fact because people are people would say and assume that it's a good idea that Amazon grows, but I guess because of the way they operate, they actually they're taking out all these employers, but not creating the number of the same number of jobs that they're actually oh totally forcing the economy to lose. Yeah, just because of efficiency. No, I'm glad you brought that up. That's actually. I'll, I'll move my script around because I'm doing like the main feature of the episode, which so as far as Amazon's effects on society, isn't it good that they efficiently provide cheap goods to regular cus- consumers like you and I? Isn't uh, Bezos benevolent because he graciously provides the rabble with jobs? There's so much to get into here as far as Amazon goes, but for the sake of focus, I want to limit this discussion to uh, Amazon and any other like mega corporation and the amount of job losses that they cause. So a report by the Institute for Local Self-Reliance found that in 2015, when Amazon created 145,800 jobs in the U.S., 294,574 jobs in brick-and-mortar retail were lost. And honestly, like, 2015, who besides Amazon was contributing to the death of retail? Like, Mm. Target and Walmart, I guess. Like, but, I mean, you can consider those brick-and-mortar retail, but the jobs that are being lost are not necessarily Walmart jobs, right? So, and like, what kind of um, replacement jobs are there for, for the people who managed to get a job after this net job loss? Well, increasingly, it's some awful job like doing a delivery driver where you're cutthroat putting cell phones in trees <laughs> right. to get, get a pickup, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, I, so I worked for Amazon for two weeks. Uh, I honestly went to do it for, you know, a project like this or something similar. But, uh, and I also needed a little bit of money. And I really liked the job. It was totally mindless menial labor and uh nothing nothing that bad about it and if you'd like just to kind of get into a a rhythm and just work like it's kind of a nice job i worked for a last mile delivery station um they called it a sortation center but i i worked with a woman who had told me that she had been off of uh she had not worked for like the last 10 or 15 years through disability and um, before the pandemic she had decided she was going to go back to work and that her ideal job would have been like a reception at a hotel or something like that because of the pandemic she couldn't get a job at a hotel so she ended up getting this job at amazon the second day we worked there she told me and she started with me but she told me that uh she had just had surgery and she had like staples still what? from and she the was surgery. Working in their... Yeah, and like the day after she told me that, I never saw her again. So like for me, a uh, young man, like it's a pretty you know that fifty pound like lifting requirement that a lot of jobs have was was fine, but like a lot of people can't do that, and like the jobs that. Uh, provide people with something to do and with a source of income that are being taken by Amazon. Like a lot of the jobs that are being taken are either better paying jobs, things like uh, UPS drivers and stuff like that when Amazon favors uh, cheaper delivery systems. And then jobs that might make you stay on your feet like brick and mortar retail, but you know, you're not lifting a 50 pound bag of packages above your head like 45 times in a shift and wrecking your shoulders if if that's something that you're not capable of doing you know so so it takes a lot of the job market and turns it into just real repetitive menial somewhat strenuous warehouse stuff so basically uh when i was looking into this i came upon a forbes op-ed about Amazon's job-killing power by one of the sweatiest people in existence, Tim Warstall. (laughs) Warstall, who is a fellow at the Adam Smith Institute in London, of course is super pro-job-killing. I'll read a bit from his op-ed here. It says, Amazon has announced that it's going to create another 100,000 jobs in the U.S. over the next 18 months. That's 100,000 full-time and full-benefits jobs. 
That is, not just temporary work driving a cart in a fulfillment center. Okay, that's fine, but there's a little bat squeak of discontent being voiced. That actually, Amazon destroys more jobs than it creates. For while the company might add jobs, more are lost in the more traditional retail sector. And the truth about this is that it's absolutely true. Even that it's the whole damn point of the exercise. We love it when people destroy jobs through efficiency, because it means that we're getting richer. Uh, so, um, he goes on, consider the basic economic problem. We've unlimited human desires and wants and only scarce resources to try to meet them. Labor is one such scarce resource. So when we invent a new technology that enables us to do the same thing with less labor, this makes us richer. Uh, because the newly freed labor can go off and produce something else, and we're richer by the addition of that something else to our consumption possibilities. One more uh, quote here. It's also referring to Amazon, and I was talking about Walmart. It's also entirely true that Walmart destroys jobs. The mom and pop stores are less efficient in their use of human labor. As they are replaced by the more efficient store, then that labor can go off and produce something else for us all to enjoy. So, labor as a scarce resource. Labor being not only people that need to make a living, but, you know, your consumer base. They're considered this, uh, they're, they're just considered a resource here. And that, uh, mm. the, the, the fact that Amazon and Walmart employ fewer people than the distribution of retail throughout, like, almost every city in America. In 2015, it was something like one in every eight jobs was wow. a retail job. But that, uh, this distribution of jobs throughout the country is considered less efficient in their use of human labor. So... That uh, Tim, Tom, I don't know his name, Worstall, this idiot, talks about Tim Worstall. He talks about, uh, uh, like, how they're free to, they're, they've been freed from the shackles of their jobs so they can go off and find another thing to do. He talks about the tractor and some, some old-timey invention called a spinning jenny, which I didn't look up, mm. but Worstall says allowed women to... And I quote, do something of greater value, making a sandwich, perhaps. Yikes. <laughs> Wait, who is this guy? He's an economist? Um, he's a fellow at the Adam Smith Institute. I think he's an economist. I don't know. I didn't look up. I looked up his Twitter and oh. it was a bunch of garbage, but. Um, it looks like a spinning Jenny is a type of loom. Okay, that or makes like sense. A s something, or maybe not loom, but is spinning wool into reams like much more faster than yeah that that makes sense like... and he kind of he talks about like presumably a hacky joke about making a sandwich but then he says like or like full um equal representation in in the job market but it doesn't he doesn't talk about like how long it took for there to be uh jobs available for women who no longer had to work on the loom you know Right. Um, which like maybe they didn't need hand. jobs. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, like it could have been like a case where, I don't know. It's just like, uh, it's a dumb argument. And I'll go into it a little more here in a bit, but the article goes on, it says, quote, this is just the process by which society becomes richer over time because we j destroy the old jobs, work out how to get the thing done using less labor, meaning that we've now got the labor to sate some other human desire or want. And uh, I was just like, these pro-market people have, they have to know that people in, in the real world, how it's uh, organized now, people need money to live, and they need to be alive to innovate, and they need a job to make money, and, you know, they need that money to live, and, like, I don't know how they, uh, displaced workers don't just magically think of new things to do, it's a process right. that, it can be painful there's no guarantee that anything better will come of this like supposed innovation and when it comes down to it what benefit is amazon or walmart or target any of these like giant companies what are they providing us like somewhat lower prices on demonstrably lower quality goods and the other benefit giving us uh more billionaires to enjoy like we can think about how fun it would be to be a billionaire because there's more of them. I guess that's a benefit. Sure. And then, well, yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway. And and also fewer options for things that you can actually buy because it, all these products become homogenized on these through these platforms. Right. On on this giant scale. Yeah, totally. Yeah, which in terms of like I think a I think a healthy economy is a diverse economy, kind of like ecosystems where there's a lot of different competitors and when they all conglomerate into just one giant mega corporation then there's actually fewer options right yeah like it's uh yeah i really don't see why destroying jobs destroying like you know jobs at local bookstores or whatever like freeing up those laborers to do something else like what else are they going to do and what kind of support you would need to you know to to generate enough uh money for people to not work because like new jobs aren't just magically going to appear at least not on a meaningful time scale um especially with how quickly they're being eliminated by these by the growth of these companies yeah so you could just give these people money but the same idiots that say it's a good thing that amazon's a job killer are the same people who would oppose any form of social safety net so like i don't know what they think like i i honestly don't believe understand how like you could have like a really like kind of cutthroat mindset and think like well it's for the best like on a hundred year scale or something and you could honestly think that and like sure like i i guess charter schools or something like i guess like also we don't on that time scale we don't know what else will change it's kind of (laughs) moot to say exactly probably in a hundred years this is going to be good and it's like well we don't know what's (laughs) That we might not even have the internet in a hundred years. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, like who knows? Yeah. Like yeah, we'll be we'll be living in domes on the moon in a hundred years. And, <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I just don't see why this uh job killing is seen as such a as such a good thing by Adam Smith types when basically all it does is make it so that it's easier for people like Jeff Bezos to to accrue more cash. And that's like the whole benefit to society there. Well, uh, it's also interesting, if there are fewer jobs, then you have a more desperate society. Everyone's desperate for a job and they'll take anything. And that's like the ideal worker is someone who's desperate to work for any amount of money and because you can exploit them. I think that's part of what is enticing to at least these big companies yeah. to um, to have such a command over the job market totally. is that then they can call the shots and no one's unionized and they're all desperate for any job. Yeah, yeah, it's a... Uh, like we're seeing now. <laughs> like a buyer's market as far as, like, yeah. uh, employers have all the power. Unemployment's a really good thing for, for uh, employers. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the other part was... Um, I was going to talk about Jeff Bezos himself a bit and talk about the... And it's it's meandering, um, so hopefully hopefully I get the point across, but I think it's... Uh, I think there's some important points. So do you remember all the Democratic candidates? Like, there was... Oh my god, that there were like 20 or 30? <laughs> yeah, so I was reading through I, the delegates. Vaguely, and, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm sure there are... <laughs> probably two dozen who I've never even heard of their names but so I'm thinking of a specific one it's a boy and he's really small and he looks like he was animated by the same person who uh did Mitch McConnell um <laughs> as though Mitch McConnell was animated. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well so I mean Mike Michael Bloomberg of course um Bloomberg, who did not actually start Stop and Frisk, that was uh, Giuliani, but apparently loved the policy so much that Giuliani, Count Chocula himself, said that Bloomberg lost sight of the noble intent of Stop and Frisk. Like, Giuliani was on Fox News talking about how bad uh, Bloomberg's execution of this ridiculous policy was. But here's Bloomberg defending the policy. Quote, put the cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So one of the unintended consequences is, oh my god, you're arresting kids for marijuana. 
that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is to throw them up against the wall and frisk them. And apparently, only about 0.1% of 532,000 stops uh, turned up guns. So that's like 500 guns and half a million kids arrested for other minor infractions. So, like, it's pretty ridiculous that anyone try to defend stop and frisk even five years ago. But uh, Bloomberg did end up apologizing for, for the policy last November, right before he launched his presidential run. But something that he didn't apologize for was a mosque surveillance program undertaken by the NYPD during Bloomberg's tenure as New York's mayor. This was... Uh, 2002, 2003, like after 9-11, the cops were doing things like sitting outside of mosques in New Jersey. Not even just New York City, they were crossing state lines and doing their best to alienate this community. Informants were paid to start conversations about jihad. I imagine that they were, you know, hiding mics in like uh, lapel pins or boutonnieres. Like the... Spying uh, didn't turn up a single plot, like nothing came of it. Yeah, New York eventually settled with uh, 10 plaintiffs for 75000 in damages and about a million dollars in legal fees. Also as mayor, Bloomberg spent billions gaining loyalty from various art and civics groups, groups that rely on charitable contributions and then mobilized them to pressure city council members to change the rules so that he could run for a third term as mayor. A group called the Doe Fund, which provided minimum wage work and shelter to homeless individuals, filled vans with clients and brought them down to City Hall. They were told that their job, their minimum wage job for the day, was to line up and testify from a script that Bloomberg should get a third term. (laughs) So, So, uh, vans of um, these clients of this... I mean, I, I was reading through... Some of these articles and some of these groups sounded kind of uh, almost extorted by, you know, you could think of them as uh, as bribes, but like the groups that took them were, some of them probably needed money and uh, it was clear to them that uh, if they were to get future money from Bloomberg, then they'd have to, you know, go down to City Hall and help them get a third term as mayor, basically. Get behind this ridiculous idea. Yeah. And, like, a lot of the groups are on record as opposing the elimination of the New York City mayor term limit rule um, until uh, Bloomberg pressured them into uh, supporting it. Well, it's interesting that they were all groups that rely on charitable contributions because that's, like, a way... Anybody can just donate as much money as they want, and it's act, it acts as a donation instead of as a gift or mm. a um, a bribe, like you said. Totally. Which, I don't know, just sounds fishy to me, like this multimillionaire or billionaire guy donating to charitable contributions for, like, tax <laughs> purpose. I mean, for tax rebates. Yeah. And then just so happens he's also convincing them to... Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really gross. <laughs> um, and one small note, and the fact that he used these uh, homeless people as tokens, more or less. Early on, when he became mayor, uh, Bloomberg proposed dumping the city's homeless population on decommissioned cruise ships. What? So, like, <laughs> I think when I was, uh, like, five, I would have thought that was an amazing idea. Like, it would have been so fun to live on a cruise ship and ride on the slide and, like, just be out there in the water. Like, I don't know where in New York they would have kept the cruise ships. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if they would have just, like, moored them in the the bay there, but... Uh... Right, or do they go sailing around? Or <laughs> who's maintaining them? And then right. next thing you know, they're like, oh, we boarded all these all these houseless people on cruise ships and they're like, oh, oops, the cruise ships all sank. Some, you're going to hear some crazy story like that, you know? Yeah. That's where, I, where my brain goes. Yeah. They did stick a bunch of people in a, an old prison that they had to, they had to take them out of because uh, it was full of lead paint. It was just like kind of harebrained. If that's the sort of like idea that he has for a major public policy problem, like... 
Yeah. It's it's at least creative. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's just yeah. It's like something that would be good in a brainstorming session. But And it's pretty it's very short sighted for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know I know that the homeless population didn't uh, decrease under Bloomberg. Who knows what sort of efforts he made into addressing uh like the causes of homelessness. So we got all these like pretty much uh, disqualifying political scandals in a way. There's like the more tabloid stuff about Bloomberg, like him proposing a big gulp ban, like drinks above like 64 ounces would be banned in New York. Uh, him, so <laughs> that line that Elizabeth Warren used, I believe in the February 19th debate, Democratic primary debate where she called him out for using terms like fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Clearly derogatory terms, but do you want to know who, and I'm not certain about this, but you want to know who that horse-faced lesbian was that he was talking about? When he actually said Um, horsey-faced, which I thought was funny, but... Yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) I believe he was referring to the Queen of England when he said that, so... (laughs) Which is... It's funny. Also, he said that paid sick leave is a goddamn awful law. So, he's a really cool, wow. like, nice guy. But uh, yeah, these are great quotes. Yeah. So, why sometime in early 2019, why did Jeff Bezos call Mike Bloomberg and ask him if he'd considered joining the 2020 presidential race? And like, what was there a more out of touch, miserable bastard than Mike Bloomberg, who like even on the, I don't know, Jeff Flake or like those guys who like sort of tried to primary Trump. Like, can you think of a worse person to? Well, wait, isn't Mike Bloomberg Republican? Well, he was a Republican mayor, but now he's a Democrat. Running as a Democrat. Yeah. And then he's also like a billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. He made. Those are. There's very little I know about him, but yeah. these things he started, just seem like yeah. turnoffs right. in general. <laughs> he started his... In addition to all the stuff you said. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> so he started his uh, time as mayor with $2 billion, and when he was done, he had $20 billion, so... What? Yeah. It should be illegal for politicians <laughs> to make money while they're in office. Like, why isn't that just the rules? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Oh. Tw- t- he- Ten times? Yeah. <laughs> he was always in office for two terms? Uh, three terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, they managed to get that? Post? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, we'll talk about some wow. stuff where there's, like, some pressure to do political lobbying that doesn't actually work, but it just shows, like, bad intent. Bloomberg actually got it, got his uh, third term, so. So is that now the law for New York? Like, anybody who's the mayor is it's can do three as many as three terms? Is that now the permanent change good question um, he's just he's just now the forever mayor <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i am not positive uh let's see it's just really um it is full of juicy bits yeah yeah all this stuff is insane it says <laughs> that uh okay it's back to two terms now 2010 a referendum Reverting the limit to two terms passed overwhelmingly. So, um, but in 2008, wow. when Bloomberg was running for a third term, then it got uh, he got his third term. So, I'm shaking my head. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, why? Honestly, like, why do you think Bezos would ask this like police state surveillance obsessed oligarch to to run for president? Because he would represent Bezos, and it'd be like Bezos running, but this is his. This is his dude. Sure. That's my guess. Yeah. It's like a smaller version of, I don't know how tall Bezos is, but apparently Mike Bloomberg is like <laughs> really, really small. Yeah. But So like if you wanted to put up a pro-corporate anti-wealth tax challenger to like Bernie or uh, Warren, which is a little odd because apparently they both got a fair amount of money from Amazon's pack, but might talk about that another time. So, like, why would he pick Bloomberg? Why not, uh, what, honestly, what was his name? Todd Steyer or Tom or Tim? The, I didn't look it up, but he was the guy that, I think he's a two billionaire. He ran for president. His big thing was climate change, which, you know, good for him. And, or why not Howard Schultz, the weak baby who founded Starbucks and who was tricked 
into moving the Seattle Supersonics to Oklahoma, which is a really funny story. Like, he just sounds like this hapless fool, but I can see why, like, he's a horribly unpopular person in Seattle, so maybe that's why Bezos wouldn't uh, go with him. But, like, why wouldn't he pick himself to run for president? I just don't... Weren't all those guys already running that you listed? Steyer, I think, was, yeah. Uh, Schultz had, but uh, dropped out early on because everyone made fun of him. <laughs> he got. And then there's Tim Tim Ryan. Is that the Tim you're referring to? Uh, Steyer, yeah. Todd, or oh. <laughs> I honestly Steyer. don't know his name. But uh, it starts with a T. But uh, yeah, Howard Schultz, I think, floated the idea. I don't think he ever actually uh, started running. But yeah, he dropped out because of uh, intense backlash. But uh, Bezos had called Bloomberg in like early 2019, like the article that I was reading was from, it was like a Vox article that, uh, the the stuff I was reading said that uh, it wasn't clear when exactly the call happened. And in fact, Bloomberg actually said that, no, he wasn't thinking about running for president. We'll get into that in a bit. But uh, like, I, I wish I knew what Bezos was thinking. There's that first greater logic that might make you think that there's there's only one way to defeat a bad billionaire like trump and that's with a good billionaire (laughs) like bloomberg but as if billionaires have some special aptitude that uh you know regular regular folks are missing to me this this call from bezos to bloomberg indicates poor judgment or some sort of like cynical defiance it's sort of Bezos assuming that Bloomberg's terrible record won't matter because the race might just come down to a good billionaire versus a bad billionaire. And like any clown that thinks that, well, we need a businessman as president because they'll balance the budget right. and stuff like that. But uh, even though the government is not a business, but I do think that Bezos was somewhat right in his judgment, like not morally or, or anything, but that uh, he was... Him, him asking Bloomberg to run, like, people were swayed by, by Bloomberg's, like, ad blitz. Like, he ended his campaign with 54 delegates. That's just under Warren's 56. Mayor Pete got 26. 14 of those came from Iowa, so, like, you know, the first caucus. So I'm no fan of Buttigieg. It's like Tracy Flick. Dear Lord Jesus, I do not often speak with you and ask for things, but now I really must insist that you help me win the election tomorrow because I deserve it and Paul Metzler doesn't, as you well know. Like, how did Pete get uh, fewer delegates than Bloomberg? Or, like, anyone that got fewer than Bloomberg? It's insane to me that uh, that he could join the race partway through after, like, Booker and, like, a lot of other... Democrats had already dropped out. He could join the race. He could basically like pay his way into the DNC denies this, but he gave them like $300,000 before he joined the wow. race. And they somehow, for some reason, changed the rules for the debates that, like, they had a donor limit. So, like, you had to demonstrate enough support by numbers of individual donors, right? And they changed the rules after, like, Booker and a lot of these people who would have did not meet those criteria. But uh, Bloomberg was able to get in and do his debate <laughs> which he did horribly in but uh but anyway so it's not like bezos swung the primary really like i said bloomberg didn't even take him up at the time to run bloomberg performed terribly in the debate in uh, las vegas and that also was like 500 million in ads bottom maybe like 10 points in approval uh he still you know he was nowhere he was never a serious uh, contender i guess but i think the point is that uh, bezos took time out of his day to encourage a buddy to run for president and that buddy was uh michael bloomberg it's so easy to see especially if you knew him what a load of baggage he had and just like what a negative how many horrible things he did in New York in terms of spying on Muslims and really harsh, like, ham-fisted approach to crime and, like, just dumb ideas to fix homelessness. (laughs) Like, that's who Bezos decided would be good to run for president. And he donated a bunch to Bloomberg? Uh, no. Or he just asked him to do it? He just asked him. And like I said, 
it didn't change anything and it's not like ever everyone has a right to choose or you know have an opinion about politics but like what does this say about bezos's judgment when yeah like he commits uh 10 billion to climate change which he did earlier this year is he going to fund like public policy that will reduce the ability of someone like Charles Koch to fund disinformation campaigns through like Heritage Foundation. You'd need a wealth tax to do that, so of course not. He's going to fund some post-growth economics think tank. Bezos thinks that the most important thing he is doing right now is spending one billion a year on Blue Origin, uh, through which he imagines will colonize the solar system with a trillion humans. So I'm sure he isn't worried about our uh, economy's perpetual cancerous growth. What about Be- Bezos's more impactful political efforts where he's actually where he's actually spent his money. So last year Amazon spent 1.5 million trying to get voters to oppose a head tax in Seattle or a per uh, employee tax on high grossing businesses. That actually didn't go through, but you know, they dumped a bunch of money into it. The head tax did not go through, but they didn't they weren't able to make it so that that tax could never be passed in the future so it was kind of a a wash for amazon bezos also gave 10.2 million to a pack called with honor which tries to get veterans from either party elected to congress which is fine i guess and maybe good and you know good to have people with that perspective if they aren't psychotic war hawks after they finish their service with the military but uh but some of the Veterans who receive money from With Honor are Dan Crenshaw and Greg Stubbe. So what's the point? They give uh, money to candidates from both parties. So like, what's the the goal here? That's like, why would you give ten million? And this is listed as one of Bezos's most major uh, contributions to anything. Is hmm. Like, top 10 probably highest sum in terms of uh, Bezos's charitable giving. So, like, why why that? Just a weird thing to this pack that elects people from uh, both parties with, like, no real say into what their their goals might be. Like... Just that they po- that they once served in the military? That's the only criteria? Yeah, like, it's not anti-war, no. it's not pro-war. It's just a weird, like, muddy mess as far as I can tell. But, uh... I mean, is it is it difficult for people who have served in the military to become politicians <laughs> otherwise? Like, I don't get... It's not even, like, an underserved group or some. I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. Yeah, I... It, it doesn't seem like someone like Dan Crenshaw would have trouble getting elected in Texas without this. I can think of some, yeah. like, wacko conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But you're, you're asking rhetorically. <laughs> what I would hope it would be would be, you know, they understand how the military works and they'd be more more likely to pass legislation that would actually help, like, the VA or, you know, support veterans after they... But yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's just a weird thing to, that that's like one of his, like his biggest contributions to anything is this. That's odd. Because he doesn't donate to other charities or actual no, like groups of, with goodwill intentions. Right. So like, I mean, there is some like poverty stuff that he's done in Seattle. I think those are definitely the highest uh, amounts that he's given other than his like promise of 10 billion toward climate change. I think it's something like, gosh, maybe a hundred million or so toward uh, poverty programs in Seattle. This ten billion to climate change, which I mentioned before, um, through the Bezos Earth Fund, which is such a like ominous name to me, but uh, which was supposed to start providing grants this summer. So far, there's next to no information about where the money might go, or like any timeline about the money. And it looks like he'll be giving through an LLC, which will limit transparency about what he is funding, which is ridiculous because the solutions to climate change are known and fairly simple, and the only thing that obscuring funding will do is allow the Bezos Earth Fund to avoid criticism when they pour a billion dollars into a green Chevy Suburban or something equally brain dead. I mean, maybe the money will do some good, but it's like, it's not enough. There's no reason to keep it secret, and it will never outweigh all the damage that Amazon will continue to do. This is his legacy as a contributor to society. He's not the worst person who could have won the lottery and become the first, like, 200 billionaire, but he isn't justifying his wealth either. In many ways, the fate of our country and the environment depend on the whims of this guy who thought Bloomberg would make a good president. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Bezos is playing a trick on Bloomberg. (laughs) 
like a bored billionaire prank or something. <laughs> like but he wanted to make Bloomberg feel included. So yeah, go run for president. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're all behind you. Well, thanks for that synthesis of political secret weird <laughs> shit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank um, you. I don't even know. There's like so many things coming, kind of coming together. Yeah, I, I hope it. I I thought it was interesting at the very least. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Now on to Bezos Watch. This is a section where we'll talk about briefly Bezos's net worth, which today is two hundred and seven billion. which went up by $5 billion since August 31st when we last recorded, which was three days ago. (laughs) Oh, cool. I made uh, like $200 in that same time (laughs) period. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. It would be nice to have some way to put that in perspective, but we've talked about uh, ways to visualize billion, so... Mm, yeah. Billion is a huge number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's an insane increase in just five, three days. No. Okay, and are you ready for a Bezos fact? Uh, yes. Okay, I got this from Bezos's Wikipedia page. Jeff Bezos does not schedule early morning meetings and enforces a quote-unquote two-pizza rule which means he has a preference for meetings to be small enough where two pizzas can feed everyone in the in the boardroom. Mm. <laughs> That's so I don't lame. know. Just, just <laughs> stupid. Yeah. It's just like a... It sounds like one of those things you'd read in like some business self-help book. Where you're like, yeah, totally. A good rule of thumb for your board meetings is... <laughs> it's just like... Oh, that stupid. is good advice. Huh. Hmm. You're so... <laughs> That's why he's the richest man in the world. Cause he's... Yeah, because he's got the two pizza roll. <laughs> right. And if you've got a really hungry person, that's three fewer people you can invite to the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And so we also have a section called Amazon Reviews, where sometimes we play little games, and sometimes we just talk about ridiculous reviews. Awesome. Unfortunately, I don't have a game today, but I did go down a little rabbit hole myself about useless kitchen items. Oh, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> the kitchen seems to be a place where the most random and redundant tools are constantly being invented. They're marketed as time savers, but really they're just like silly gadgets. I'm sure that some of the inventions are legitimately helping people with you know, maybe disabilities or like if you're weak in your hands, certain things are really useful. But I think most of that, most of them and most of the people that are buying them are using them for these like minute inconveniences, like to relieve themselves of minute inconveniences. Yeah. Yeah. Like Um, single use items or like single task items, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Or like designed to be like a cute way to store this really, like for instance, my parents have one because <laughs> it was a joke. It was a gag gift. Yeah. But it's um, it holds your one half of an avocado. Like <laughs> you literally do not need that. Use this other side of the skin or like a Tupperware. <laughs> yeah. Eat the whole thing. Just leave you know, there's the lots pit of options. in there. Yeah. <laughs> leave the pit. Yeah. You don't need this whole apparatus. It has like it's so ridiculous. It looks like an avocado, and it has like this super shaped, you know, really highly engineered plastic that goes right around the avocado in the pit and then like a little <laughs> stretchy band to go around it and hold it in place it's just like <laughs> so stupid uh, um i bought yeah i bought a i saw this thing at the store it was a pigs in a blanket like silicone tray with these pig shaped forms and you'd fill them with like pancake mix and like some kind of like <laughs> little smoky or something and and it was in like the clearance rack at Ralph's, and so yeah, I went back two weeks later, and it was still there. And I was like, "Well, I better buy this thing." <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that that was your thought. <laughs> yeah, better save this from the landfill. Or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, that was part of it, and it was like, I bet some guy, some lady, just had this idea. <laughs> I I hope that they're making a a, a modest living off of this. Uh, Pigs in the blanket thing. <laughs> so yeah, you'd hope. I guess I I simultaneously love and hate yeah. these hyper specific items. Like I'm massively entertained by them. But then I think about all of the all of the stuff that goes on behind any product that you see. Mm. 
and like just what a tragic waste it can be in some ways yeah yeah but i also love them like i'm i'm not a minimalist by any means i like make wacky art and use a bunch of i love objects you know Mm, but um it's just kind of strange but uh, kitchen ones are are particularly funny because every action you can imagine in the kitchen there's a highly engineered item to allegedly ease that task. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, I, I think it'd be funny just to review those, but I'm sure I'll review other things. So I, I have one that I wanted to talk about, but I also have like a minor prelude that's a rant. Um, <laughs> just because because really, like from, from environmental perspective especially, it is important to realize all of the work that goes into any manufactured item we use. Even like, oh, the silly pigs in the blanket thing. Like, yeah, that goes, somebody, a buyer for Ralph's was like, oh, this is cute. Maybe we'll sell it. They buy it. None of them sell. They end up throwing it away, probably. Or someone buys it as a gag gift and it goes to DI and then it goes to the landfill, whatever. The fate of those is, it's a short, like, use life, short life of use. Yeah. But then when you think about all of the work that goes behind it, it's kind of insane. Um, And I have an example because... I watched this show that I love called How It's Made. Mm-hmm. Um, at least their early episodes were really, they show all of these um, process, manufacturing processes for just random stuff. And I watched one recently about parchment paper liners for cupcakes. So, you know, yeah. you don't want to use quote unquote messy butter <laughs> to prevent your cupcakes. <laughs> I know it. To prevent your cupcakes from st- sticking to the pan, that you should use this silicone-coated paper, which is just parchment paper, and you buy it in rolls. And I was like, oh, yeah, parchment paper, that's going to be a boring one, whatever. But they're five minutes long, so I watched it. But it was insane. They take you through this, like, long and complex process of, like, probably days long, honestly, to, to make a roll of this. And there's just rooms upon rooms of these massive machines that are probably, like, 30 feet tall and like 40 feet wide rolling and unrolling this crazy paper pulp into various baths and like heat coating and then they run it through lasers to make sure that it's visually check the the quality of the paper and then they roll it again and then they like bake it and then put it in silicone and then and then they have to cut it and like package it it was just it went on and on and it kind of blew my mind because it's something with paper especially is something that we just like think of as kind of disposable and and it, it is it's designed to be disposable but just looking at this the process of making it really puts it into perspective about everything that we use and I think it's really important to kind of think about that when you buy something like how long are you going to use that what is its purpose and just like any perspective about the manufacturing or design process, prototyping process, or building the machines that make it is just like so all-consuming. Yeah. Of that thing of resources in the world. So we can link we can link this YouTube of the how it's made. Yeah, um, yeah. If y'all want. Yeah. Totally. It was actually really it's I love seeing those machines because they're like it's kind of magnificent just to see these massive machines that are designed for really specific applications. Totally, yeah. But yeah, so I went on a rabbit hole of Amazon looking for maddeningly useless items, and I came across <laughs> one of my favorites, which I've seen memes of. They say, the perfect invention doesn't exist, and they show this, because <laughs> it does exist, and it's, <laughs> uh, here, drum roll, it's snack finger covers for chip fingers. <laughs> Quote unquote, finger covers for cheesy, icky fingers, food grade silicone. Say goodbye to pesky chip fingers with Finger Pal. These potato chip grabbers are made of 100% food grade silicone or BPA free, so you can rest assured that you can enjoy your finger foods at ease. So, <laughs> amazingly, I found like a shitload of listings for products that were like this, <laughs> but this particular one is like kind of gr- ugly. I mean, there's cuter ones too, but I found this one that they're like clear and it kind of they it almost wants to blend into your fingers like how band-aids do, oh, but man. they're slight they're like slightly <laughs> like you want to disguise the fact that you're protecting your fingers <laughs> from Cheeto dust. Yeah. Oh my god. Man. Anyway, so the and then I found a couple I found mostly people liked them. So, it was hard to find many bad reviews. So I have I have two that I can read to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, these are nice to use, 
but having them handy when it's time to snack is a different story. Usually the temptation to snack comes before searching out my finger covers. (laughs) (laughs) That was like a three star review. (laughs) They're too stealthy. Is that like they're invisible to them so they can't see them? I guess. (laughs) <laughs> oh, just that! Just the fact that this product exists. Oh yeah, like, it's just wacko. Okay, and then the second review is: it worked for my wife since she loves to eat her some Cheetos. Uh. So was, somebody was like enthusiastic. <laughs> Throw his wife under the bus. I know, right? <laughs> anyway. Oh, the. Um. <laughs> I couldn't guess when you were trying to, or when you were. Uh, I couldn't guess when you were building up to the product reveal. <laughs> I, I've seen like the banana slicer thing and the avocado holder and I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen those. They're amazing. I can send you the listing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. I, I made a nice list of a lot of other useless items. So perhaps we'll review some others in the future. Yeah. Um, because it's it's one of my favorite subsections i think of like you know peak capitalism yeah culture is these like things that you literally almost all the that's the weird thing most of the reviews were like bought this as a gag gift they liked it i don't know or like yeah that was kind of the thing and i it's sort of tragic that but it's real that there are things that are made just to be hilariously stupid like oh my god someone made that i can't believe it let's buy it and throw it away yeah no, for sure. And like, that's like a subsection of our economy. <laughs> and chances are a lot of the people that invent those aren't like, it's not like Bill Gates or something. Yeah. It's some... I'm changing the world with these chip <laughs> finger protectors. Like it's probably just some guy who, you know, some some regular person who had an idea and thought... That... I, I wonder how much of it is like a desire to like go into business for yourself because your job sucks because jobs now have no like benefits or anything so you try and invent this thing that you think just maybe you could get on shark tank and it is really tragic if that's the idea that you came up with it's not like it's a completely idiotic idea it's just like a thing that like you say doesn't really need to exist like there's other things you can do with with like re like if you're that worried about your fingers you could just like use a use chopsticks exactly i I was gonna say a fork but (laughs) that doesn't work chopsticks people have been doing it for like five thousand years they've been using chopsticks (laughs) chopsticks are like reusable and free like or you can use some sticks they found in the yard if you're really desperate yeah just just saying like the the uh, ubiquity of two sticks totally yeah the funny thing is I relate to this inclination to invent something that's hilarious. Yeah, me too. I mean, as an artist and like living in the world we do live in, it's like, yeah, why not? Like, we can go get this wacky thing made. But yeah, totally. Also, because that's part of the culture, and we could also weave into our culture this like reverence for objects and say like, hmm, this is a funny idea. Do I need to actually make it though to have to like convey the humor? I mean, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. I think there could be sort of like a thought process and like reverence for the resources used to do anything. It's funny too. I think that there's some objects that have a pretense of utility. Yeah. Like the pigs in the blanket. They're like, we're pretending that this is really a, a useful thing for your pigs in the blanket. But really, you like it as an as an entertaining object. Yeah. Almost like an art art piece. Even though it's kind of both, mm-hmm. I don't know. We should we can get into that some other time. <laughs> Is there a museum for these things? Uh, I like there should be. There should be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. When I did come across, I lived in Chicago briefly, and me and my sister were walking around someplace, and we saw this little sign, and it was like toaster museum. $1 entry. <laughs> and so we went in, and it was actually like an antique store, and then one of the rooms was devoted to toasters. And we were like, we want to see the toaster museum. And we gave her a dollar each. And then she brought us in and like showed us these like 50 toasters she had through history. And one of them was, you know, used fire. And one of them, they were all really, they were legitimately interesting and unique. Yeah. But it was like, what the f- toaster fact? Toaster <laughs> museum? Like, I have to see. It's like the it's National so Museum of 
posters. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'll make the National Museum of useless kitchen, utterly useless kitchen items. Yeah. Oh, uh, you should. Yeah, I guess uh, that's all I've got for my reviews, and I think we're ready to sign. Cool. I've been Chris. You can find me uh, at at Serial Flakes Media uh, on Instagram, and then I have a YouTube channel, the same name. You can find this podcast, Prime Evil, on Patreon, which is uh, slash Prime underscore Evil, just like it sounds. And my name is Natalie Alsop Edwards. You can find me on Instagram at Natalie underscore C-A-E. And uh, cool. Thanks for listening to Primeval. Oh, Alexa. End show and roll.